Tell me the story of Jesus. Write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. Number 121. Let's stand, please, tonight as we worship the Lord, beginning our service. ask the Lord, please, to be with us now in our evening service, and He would show us from His Word things that we need to know, how to be instructed and guided, directed in the center of His perfect will. Father, tonight as we bow in our evening service, the throne of grace, the house of prayer and of worship and of praise, 
And dear Father, we ask that at the very commencement of our meeting, we would know the leading of the Spirit of God, the help that is so necessary for every detail of a meeting of this nature. Lord, we don't want to be left to our own devices, to our own wisdom or power. We are mindful, Father, that we are so dependent upon the Spirit's help that we might think clearly, that we would have holy thoughts about our Savior, that from the Scripture we would see our Lord Jesus afresh, and that powerfully we would be affected by such a view. We'll be changed more and more unto His image and glory, and that, Father, we would die more and more unto ourselves. Lord, don't allow us to be taken up with the things of this world. Help us to realize, as our Lord Jesus prayed, that we are in the world, but not of it. Lord, don't let the attractive things of this present evil age be a part of our thinking. Deliver us from the world and the flesh and the devil. And Lord, we pray that there would be created in us every day, every moment of the day, an increasing hunger and thirst after righteousness, that the fruit of the Spirit would be growing, blossoming, flourishing in each one of us, that we would know the love of Christ, the joy of sins forgiven, the joy of knowing day-to-day fellowship with our God, The devil would not be able to cast us down, but we would be filled with that temperance, joyful spirit, the love of Christ, charity and kindness and faithfulness. Lord, we will be as lights in a very dark world. We will be as salt to preserve, and that we might, Lord, be a witness and a savor Hear our prayers to this end because we know, Lord, that every day the devil has a plan to cast us aside, to cause us to stumble and fall by his temptations and allurements. But help us to rise above that by the power of the Spirit within us. We know and have the great assurance that greater is he that is in us than he that is within the world and that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, Lord, let us walk in the fear of the Lord. Let us walk each day in the joy and peace of so great salvation, and that others would see Christ in us. And we'll have the joy of witnessing of our faith, of telling others of what Jesus means to us. And Lord, You would make us soul winners that we would be able to point people to the Lord, and that, Father, You would loose our tongues and help us to speak of the wonderful things of God, those things that we have experienced, 
Those things we know, Lord, of joy and peace and of sins forgiven, of the knowledge of a home and glory. Let us speak of those things with conviction and power and so that we would be able to point a sinner to Jesus. Dear Lord, make us all evangelists. Make us all who know what it is to be serving the Lord in this capacity. Take away the fear of man. Lord, it so often cripples us. But help us to trust rather in our God and we will be safe. Father, we have that promise of Hebrews 13, the Savior made, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Give us that holy boldness and courage to stand in our day against all the evils of our time. Lord, the world would want us to be silent, to say nothing. But, O Lord, may we be bold in our Savior. May we know His power daily upon us. Lord, hear our prayer tonight. Remember, again, the ones in our congregation we either know personally or connected with our families that are set aside, sick, under a great burden and trial at this time. Come to their aid. Lord, bless them all abundantly. Remember the unsaved ones in our families. We pray for household salvation. We ask, Lord, to bless all of our missionaries, all of those who we support with our finances, and we support, more importantly, with our prayers. Lord, may they know the weight of our praying. May they feel themselves carried along through every trial, through every challenge, every difficulty. And Lord, may the Word of God and the Gospel go out with power in every mission field that we're involved with. And Father, far beyond what we are involved with in a small capacity, bless the Gospel Word being faithfully preached, being faithfully witnessed by those who love the Scripture and who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless us tonight in our evening service. May it be a time of great rejoicing. Be with everyone in the meeting and each one watching online. For Lord, in a real sense, we know that they are in the meeting as well, and we pray a blessing upon them. We hear our prayers now. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. Number 170. 170, Jesus is his, in His heavenly glory. Remain seated, please, while we sing.
God bless His Word that we sing to Him by way of Him or of reading the Scripture. It is a blessed thing to sing the words of God back to Him once again. We're going to read tonight two places for our congregational reading. First of all, in Psalm 16. Psalm 16, we sang from that portion this morning, and we're going to read that this evening. And then also in Acts chapter 2. So if you can navigate your way there to those two places. First of all, in the book of the Psalms, Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in Thee do I put my trust. O my soul, Thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to Thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent in whom is all my delight." Their sorrow shall be multiplied that hasten after another god. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And then please over to Acts chapter 2, the Acts of the Apostles, from verse 22 down to 33. The Apostle Peter is speaking, Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by Him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, 
I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for He is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also, my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulchre is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, that is David, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, He has shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. May God bless His Word to us. You will undoubtedly have noticed that in the reading of Acts 2, the Apostle Peter quotes extensively from Psalm 16. And he gives to us here the New Testament commentary on God's holy word. And we'll be referencing this and thinking about this a little bit later in the message tonight. And we hope and pray and know that God's blessing will be upon His Word as it is publicly read. You are very welcome here tonight in our evening meeting. We gather each Lord's Day evening at 6.30 for our evening service of worship. And we're always glad to welcome folks who are here with us regularly and those who have decided to come back again and see us and all of the folks that view our services online. We cannot see you, but you can see us. And if you would like us to remember you in prayer for some burden you have, some prayer request, then there will be our email will come up on the screen sometime in the service, and you're invited to contact us so that we can pray with you and for you. Always good to welcome back again our visitors who are here from Holland who are overseas on some holidays. You're very welcome here tonight, again in our service. We're thankful you were here tonight. And we did also have other visitors from the community that were here this morning, and we're thankful that uh, they've come back to be with us tonight. We welcome our dear friend who's come back tonight to be with us, and some other folks who were actually walking by the church this morning, we understand, uh, they decided to stop in and visit with us. This is the very thing we've been praying for. We want uh, our congregation, our church, to be known 
as a welcoming house in the, at the corner of Nielsen and Finch here. We want our neighbors and our friends, as they are doing just that thing, walking by, saying, hey, what about that place? Let us go in there and see what's going on. And when they come in, they will be presented with the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will hear the message, and they will say, yes, what is there about this people? What is there about this place? This is a place where God's Word is honored, and the Lord Jesus is lifted up. And we want to point them to the Savior and share the message of our wonderful Redeemer so that they will come to see and know Him. And to that end, I want to say again how good it is to see all of you this morning and just making these visitors feel very welcome. And that's always a good thing. And don't uh, be sure you don't go out without saying hello to the ones who have come in to our service either the morning or at the night time. Please remember our service on Wednesday evening, our Bible study and prayer time at 7.30. I was saying to a man this morning that the prayer meeting is the hub of our church life. It's the place where as we get before God and pray for our church, pray for the pulpit ministry, pray for every form of outreach and evangelism, praying that God would build and help and bless and heal and all of these things. The prayer meeting is so very, very important. Following our prayer meeting this coming Wednesday night, I'd like to have a a brief Sunday school committee meeting. And so Sunday school committee people, please take note of that for Wednesday evening. We have a, a few things we would like to just discuss and get updates on. Next Lord's Day, our service is our Bible classes Sunday school in the morning at 9.50, morning service at 11, evening at 6.30, as you know. A couple of advanced things to think about. We have a list on the table at the back, and I saw some ladies signing up on that today, and that's to do with our upcoming presbytery meetings and prayer times in May, from May 8th to the 12th, and it will be a very busy time in the church during that week, and we have a lot of hospitality that we want to be doing. So, ladies, if you would like to sign your name on that list, if you can either help with food or you'd like to help with some uh, practical work at that time, well, you'd be very welcome to uh, come and help and sign your name on that list. We will also be having some fixing up days, some cleaning up days for our grounds and also the church on May the 1st and, the, and 2nd. Those are two evening times, and we'll give you more details about that a bit later. We're also excited about the uh, June mid-year prayer time Prayer days will be from Monday the 5th of June, Tuesday the 6th, and Monday the 7th, and will be our regular prayer time dates of 7.30 in the evening. But on the Wednesday night, we're planning to have a baptismal service. We had a request about having a baptism, and so that is a very fitting time during those three days of prayer. And so if you have requested that, and I really want to emphasize to anyone in our congregation who has professed faith in Christ, but you've never been baptized, well, now is the opportunity. And I want to say that next Lord's Day evening, after the evening service, 
we're going to be holding a meeting for anyone who is interested in getting baptized. So you put that aside. Next Lord's Day evening, this is your opportunity, and we'll be meeting in the counseling room over here after the evening service and an opportunity just to share a few things about that. So you keep that aside. If, you've been, if you know the Lord, if you've come to Christ and you've never been baptized, well, now is your opportunity, and the Lord will lead you in that way. And then we're, don't want to sound like a broken record, but we're remembering so many things in prayer, but our upcoming conference, Young Adult Conference in August, these are things to bring constantly before the Lord. We're going to sing again to the Lord's praise, number 171, and this one is a a new hymn for us, and the tune in the book is not one that we would know, so we're going to one that is more familiar. The words of this are very precious, I am He that liveth. And so the tune we have is to hold thou my hand, you'll recognize that, And uh, there is a chorus in our hymn book, but we're not going to be singing the chorus because the uh, hymn, the tune that we have, does not fit for that. So, I'm going to ask our instrumentalists to play through the opening verse. You watch the words of verse 1 on the screen, and then we will be able to sing. Now, because this is a new hymn to the tune, we're going to slow down the instruments a little bit on this one. Have everyone stand up and let's sing these words of 171.
and you did well. Please be seated. The chorus of that hymn says, I am he that liveth, that liveth and was dead. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive and alive forevermore. And that is the the verse in the Scripture that is taken from Revelation chapter 1, where our Lord Jesus gives that testimony. I am the one that was alive and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And there is great hope that we have in that truth. We're turning in our Bibles again, please, to John chapter 20. John's Gospel chapter 20. We're going to read the same verses that we read this morning. Starting at verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter, following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the other disciples, then the disciples went away unto their home. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping, And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, and seeth two angels in white, sitting the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back, and she saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, 
If thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts tonight as we have read. Just a few thoughts before we turn to the message tonight. You know, when people read the four accounts of the resurrection of the Lord in the Gospels, they, certainly those who don't believe and know the Lord, they say there are too many variations of the accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they all have something a little bit different to say, to add. For example, how many people were actually at the sepulcher? One of the Gospels says that it was Mary Magdalene. Others say it was Mary and some other women. Others say that names the ones who were there. And there appear to be discrepancies about how this all unfolded. A very excellent explanation of this is found in J.C. Ryle's commentary on John's Gospel, and I would recommend it to you. You can get it online and read it, his comments on chapter 20. He goes through a very detailed explanation about how all of these events would have unfolded. Sometimes, you know, when we look and read the Bible, we're reading it from a distance. We are reading it and thinking that all of these things just happen sort of mechanically and not considering that the people who were involved in that day were all living their own lives. They were all living in different places. And how would it have been that they would have come? Different times, different stages of appearances that would have come. And I believe that when we get to glory and we will see unfolded before us all of those details, we'll say, oh, that makes perfect sense. I can see how that would have happened clearly. But now from our vantage point, it sometimes is a little bit more difficult. But when we come to read the Scripture, we understand the Bible is God's holy, inspired, infallible Word. There are no discrepancies. There are no uh, problems of one saying one thing and somebody else contradicting it. No, it is very accurate and very clear. Another very interesting thing that may have crossed your mind as well in the context of what we have read here in chapter 20 is that when both John and Peter came to the sepulcher and looked in, they both saw the clothing, the wrapping of the Lord's body. And John, first of all, said he saw the clothes there, lying there. And Peter went right in. That was impetuous Peter. And he went right into the tomb and saw the clothes. But he said specifically, he saw the clothes lying in one place, and he saw the napkin that would have been around the head of the Lord wrapped in another place. Why? Why would that have been designated different? Very clearly because when the Lord rose from the dead, 
He rose and came out of those clothes that were wrapped around. He did not have to wake up from the grave and begin to try to unwind the things around his head and around his body. No, the Lord rose right through the grave clothes. But he didn't just leave them there. The Lord, as I mentioned to you before, in the words of David Livingston, he said, Our Lord Jesus was a perfect gentleman. And he cleaned up after himself. And those clothes were folded and set down. And the napkin that was around his head was folded up and set down in a different place. It just speaks about the fact there was no haste. There was no rush. The Lord made His resurrection orderly, structured in place which is a very great counter-argument to those who would say that the disciples came along and they stole the body. Well, think about it. If they stole the body, they're not going to unwrap the body first of all and then put the things very neatly in order. They're going to take the body out quickly and do something about that later. No. It's just another little indication and evidence of the proof. For those who would receive the proof, that our Lord Jesus indeed rose from the grave as He said. Let's bow before the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come before the open Scripture tonight, once more we pray for our hearts to be open. We don't want to be careless about the Scripture We don't want to be flippant about the things that are so solemn, so important. I pray, Lord, that You would give me grace and help tonight to speak as Your servant. The power of the Spirit of God to convey this truth, divine revelation. And there would be a word in season to every heart. Encourage us, Lord, this evening. Speak to those who are yet without Christ. They have never sealed that relationship. Maybe tonight, Lord, would be that night of gospel light and life coming home to their hearts. Hear our prayers now. Be with us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is verse 9 that we are thinking about from John 20 this evening. Continuing on, the second half of the message from this morning. We're told, for as yet they, the disciples, knew not the Scripture that Christ must rise again from the dead. We have all heard that old adage that goes like this, familiarity breeds contempt. And what does that mean? Well, it just means that if we become so familiar or used to something, we can treat it carelessly. We can treat it almost with contempt that it's really not that important. It's so familiar to us. We know it. We know it. We know it. Therefore, we don't really count it worthy of much. 
Well, I think that that would be too strong a statement to apply to such an important matter that we have before us tonight as we're thinking about the resurrection of our Lord. But is it not true that you would pass by a day, a week, a month, hopefully never a year, that we would not really think about the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Yes, we have to admit that we are guilty as charged. I know that I have been there, and I believe that you also would have to say the same thing. And therefore, as we come to the Word of God again tonight, maybe there would be a gentle rebuke for us, for the neglect of so great a truth upon which our eternal life is connected. And let us pray for the Spirit's help, for His assistance to our feeble, forgetful memories that we would be brought back again to be reminded of the great grace of our Lord in applying this mighty doctrine because it is a most integral part of our faith and of our salvation. We thought about the disciples not knowing the Scripture, but we also don't want to be overly critical about them because we are no different from them in many, many ways. The crucifixion of our Lord gave every appearance of ending in a disaster, a failure. For the King of the Jews had come. He had lived, preached, healed, spoke of a kingdom. But what happened to Him? He ended His life in the horrible death of the cross. And surely some would have been asking the question, where is our hope now? Our hope is all gone. It is over. When John the Apostle wrote his Gospel, it was many years after the Lord had risen and ascended to heaven. And so he is now looking back. And he is not just considering his notes that he may have written at the time. No, the Gospel in the Bible is so much more than that. It is the divine and sovereign inspiration of God. He brought back to the Gospel writers exactly what He wanted them to write down. But the mystery of inspiration is just that. The, the Holy Spirit comes upon, came upon the individual and communicated the mind of God to the mind of the man, and then he was able to write down, and he did not completely bulldoze over the personality of the individual author. And that's why we can look at the Word of God and see it is written with character, the character of the individual writers. But the Lord was the one who breathed through them. And so John, he wrote about this after the Lord had risen. And John was an eyewitness. 
And so He was with the disciples when the Lord appeared to them, and He was able to touch the Lord Jesus after He had risen. They saw the Savior eating in front of them. He would have witnessed the Lord speaking to that 500 in an open assembly that we hear about. His vision now, from the vantage point that He wrote then, it was 2020. He could then see all of the Old Testament Scriptures that had come to pass now. He could now understand fully that Christ must die and that Christ must rise from the dead. Now let us think tonight as we consider this Scripture that the Lord would come with great power to our hearts and lives. Let us stand into the great doctrine of the resurrection, realizing how it applies to our own lives. But let's also get a good grasp of what the Scripture teaches us about this great truth and why it's so important for us to take it to our hearts. Because, of course, where we stand in relation to the cross of Christ and His resurrection, well, that determines so much about our life now. It most definitely determines whether we're going to be in heaven with the Lord or separated from Him if we reject that truth. But how we apply it to our lives as Christians, that will determine how we're living out our life. Are we living with joy and victory? Are we living with the hope and the positive attitude that we are to have as God's people? Or are we living in melancholy and despair? No, friend, as we view our saved lives through the resurrected Christ, it makes all the difference as to how we are going to live. And I pray it will be so for us. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 made it very clear that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. What a great gospel text that is. Been used many times to encourage people to seek the Lord and call upon Him. Friend, I ask you tonight, have you sought the Lord to be your Savior? Have you called upon Him in simple faith, confessing your sin, believing that He is alive today and He is your Savior, the only one that can save you from your sin and give you everlasting life? He must rise from the tomb. A quick review from this morning, please. Because we thought about the disciples, the ignorance of the Scripture and how it affected them and their understanding of the work of Jesus. They were hearing some things of the Lord. They heard much teaching, but they weren't listening too clearly. They were affected by some of their own preconceived ideas about how things were supposed to work out in prophecies. They were seeking a kingdom but they were not seeking the cross. 
They did unnecessary harm to themselves and to some others that were around them. Tonight we're thinking in the major point, the second point of the message, the clarity of the Old Testament that Christ must rise from the dead. When you're reading through your Old Testament Scriptures, you might be wondering where or does it even speak about the resurrection of the Lord? Does it speak about the cross of Christ? Where did this teaching come from? And was it clearly spoken forward? Well, I can say to you that the general understanding of the Jews was that the Old Testament definitely taught resurrection after life and death on this earth. We go all the way back to the book of Genesis and to the creation of Adam. Because God created Adam in order that he would have communion with him. And he created Adam and walked with Adam in the cool of the day, and he set him in the garden. And Adam was able to eat of the tree of life along with all the other trees of the garden, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So he partook of the tree of life freely before he had sinned. Now, the implication of that was that there was a probationary time period that if Adam had obeyed and not taken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that God would have given to him life eternal. But that did not happen. And Adam sinned and fell. And when that happened... He died spiritually. He lost that fellowship. And unless he had been redeemed, he would have been separated from God for all eternity in hell. If the Lord had not stepped in to make a way. But the Lord did step in to make a way for sinners to be rescued from everlasting damnation. And a way was provided for atonement for sin. And once that atonement had been made, in all of the types and shadows of the Old Testament, animals that were sacrificed, all of them pointed toward Calvary. They pointed toward the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And we know that all of the types and shadows were presenting the message, the innocent is dying for the guilty. Adam was guilty. We are all guilty. Christ, the innocent one, died in our place. And the Lord Jesus did that in order that communion and fellowship and the state that man had in the garden that Adam had before he had sinned would be restored. And Christ has done that work so that we would have a restored relationship. Oh, my friends, how great the God of heaven, the Creator, He has made us 
so that in redemption, when this body of sin and of flesh will die and go back into the ground, when our spirits are released from our bodies, they will go to be with the Lord. And it is on the ground of Christ's resurrection. He must rise again. Because our hope for eternity is all tied up and wrapped up in that truth. Yes, the Old Testament Scriptures teach us by way of picture and type and shadow. Because if man was not going to rise again from the dead, then man would never have his new spiritual body that we are told of in 1 Corinthians 15. This was the understood teaching of the entire Old Testament. But there is more evidence to come to us, and we find that in the teaching of Moses. In Luke 24 and verse 27, our Lord Jesus was speaking to the two men on the road to Emmaus after He had risen. And the Lord told them at the beginning of Moses, beginning at Moses, He expounded unto them in all the Scriptures, Moses, the Law, the Prophets, and the Psalms. That threefold division includes all of the Old Testament Scriptures. And so that lesson that those two men received, that, that expounding of the Scripture by the Son of God, He was telling them all things concerning Himself. And where did the Lord Jesus begin? He began at Moses. Now, Moses wrote the Pentateuch, the five first books of the Bible. It's called the Torah in the Jewish Scriptures. And as the Lord Jesus unfolded to them from Genesis to Deuteronomy, the writings of Moses, the things concerning His death, His burial, and His resurrection, as He did also in the Psalms and in the Prophets. Now, notice this as we develop and how the Lord Jesus Christ also, as He was in His life teaching to the Sadducees and Pharisees, He also drew from Moses. So the Lord, after He had risen from the dead, the true on the road to Emmaus, He turned their direction to Moses. But when the Sadducees in His life came to Him, and they questioned Him about the resurrection. You know the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. So it's rather ironic they're coming to Him talking about this story of a woman who lived and had seven husbands, all brethren in the family. One died. She married another. And they didn't have any children. And so when they all get to heaven, well, who she married to? Because she had seven husbands. And Jesus turned to them and said, you make a great mistake. You have, you have no understanding of the Scriptures. Not only do you not understand the Scriptures here on earth, but you have no knowledge of the relationships that will be in glory. 
And once he had told them that and settled that ridiculous thing they were bringing, he then said, but now that we're talking about resurrection, let me instruct you. He turned it back on them by showing the truth that the dead shall rise. He said, have you not read in the book of Moses? So he's taking them back to their Scriptures, the Torah. Have you not read in the book of Moses how in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but He is the God of the living. Ye therefore do greatly err. And the point we're bringing to you tonight is this, that the Lord made it evident, so clear, that the Old Testament prophet Moses was instructed and directed by God, teaching him about life after death, about the resurrection. For God is not the God of those who are in the grave and dead people, because Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they're alive today. Further proof of this being the understood position in the Bible and of the Jews And this is an important one, because in the book of Acts, chapter 26, the Apostle Paul was arrested. He was on trial. He was before King Agrippa. And he made the plea that when he was before that court being judged, he said, I am being judged for this, for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, and that He continued to this day witnessing to both small and great, saying none other things than those which Moses did say should come. Note this, that Christ should suffer and that He should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles." And the Apostle Paul, speaking to King Agrippa, whom he also said, King Agrippa, you know these things I'm talking about. He said, you are well versed in all of the Jewish customs and laws. And he said, you know that the things I am speaking to you are truth. And the the fascinating thing is that neither did King Agrippa say, Paul, this issue you're talking about, about Moses speaking about Messiah, suffering, dying, rising from the dead, that's not in the Bible. They didn't, Agrippa didn't say that, but neither did the Jews. Because the Jews were attacking Paul because he spoke of Christ. And they rejected Christ. But it was the very truth of the Old Testament And Moses preached about Jesus. Moses preached about the Messiah and about His suffering and about His resurrection from the grave. The testimony of Moses in the Bible to the resurrection of Jesus is very strong. But we also have the testimony of Job. 
in Job 19 and verse 25. Job, in the very center of all of his trouble, he said this, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that He shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms shall destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. What a declaration from God's servant who lived, as many predict, in the Genesis time period. How would Job know such a thing? How would he ever have any idea that the Redeemer that was going to come, the Messiah that was promised, all the way from the book of Genesis, how would he know that he is going to rise from the dead? How would Job know that when I die and my body goes back to dust in the ground, that one day in my flesh I will see God? Because he believed that He would rise again from the dead because He believed that His Redeemer would in the latter day stand upon the earth and the Redeemer that had come to live, to die, to ascend to glory, He would come back to life again and be raised. The testimony of Job is a very precious testimony We have the testimony of David. We read from Psalm 16. And it says there, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. The word hell is the word Sheol in the Hebrew. And Sheol has several different meanings. One of them is the meaning of, well, it's the place of the departed dead. It means the grave, the place where you're going to be buried. And it also has reference to the departing of those in hell. So it has a threefold meaning. And most definitely here in this prophecy in Psalm 16.10, it's referring to the grave. He said, Thou wilt not leave my soul in the grave, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one, to see corruption. So as David was penning this, he was penning it as the inspiration of God given to him. It was a messianic psalm, speaking in prophecy of the coming of the Redeemer. Now I want you to turn back again to Acts chapter 2 that we read. This is absolutely vital and so important to understand the interpretation divinely given by the Apostle of the Old Testament Scripture. And you always want to be looking for this in your study. Because when the Holy Spirit has given to the New Testament writer the declaration of what the Old Testament is meaning, it will bring everything to clarity and we can stand on it. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 25, 
It says, For David speaketh concerning him. Concerning who? Concerning Christ, who the Jews had just been guilty of crucifying. This is the whole context. He said, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for He is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice. This is Christ speaking. And my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell in the grave neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. And Peter is using and drawing out from Psalm 16 that the resurrection of Christ is being spoken about here. And if there was any doubt at all, look down at verse 31. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in the grave, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus, Peter declares, hath God raised up, therefore we are his witnesses. How powerful it is to see the testimony of David in the Psalms that looked forward to the resurrection of his Lord. It is taught in the Old Testament Scriptures that he must rise. Now understand this, that when John is speaking in chapter 20 and verse 9, he's speaking about the disciples not knowing the Scripture. What Scripture was he talking about? He wasn't talking about the New Testament Scriptures fully because they were not written yet. He was talking about the Old Testament Scriptures. And so full is the Bible, is the Old Testament, about the Lord's suffering, burial, and resurrection that it was so very, very clearly spoken about here. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses, And you and I today as believers would stand directly in that place. We today also are witnesses of so great a truth. In Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 19, Isaiah also gives us a testimony of the Jews believing in the resurrection. In Isaiah 26 and verse 19, it says, Thy dead men shall live. Together with my dead body, they shall arise. Awake and sing, ye that dwell in dust. For thy dew is as the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out her dead. Yes, It was spoken about in the Psalms, in the book of Moses, in the prophets, throughout the Old Testament. And there are many other references. I give you thirdly and finally tonight, and I briefly with this, we're just about to close. There is a certain hope for the believer in all of this. 
If ye then be risen with Christ, then seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. We have not even scratched the surface of all of the New Testament references there are to our Lord's resurrection. In conclusion tonight, as we think about this, what does it mean for us as God's people? The Lord Jesus must rise again from the dead. Why? Because, dear brothers and sisters, the Scriptures must be fulfilled. The Word of God cannot fail. Jesus said not one yoth, not one tittle, the two smallest markings and letters of the Hebrew alphabet, not one element of the Word of God will fail. All will come to pass, and that's the Word that Jesus has spoken. Therefore, He must have risen from the dead. Why also? Because it is God's plan of redemption that must be accomplished. The Lord's sovereign intention and purpose to save sinners from hell. And that is why Christ must rise. And that is why our redemption must be accomplished. And also, that Christ must ascend to the Father's right hand to pray for His people. And that's where He is now. And that's what He is doing. He is ever living to make intercession for His people. And the last point is Jesus must come back for His redeemed. He must rise because He must go to glory, because He must intercede for us, because He must come back to receive us. He has promised, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And that is our glorious hope tonight. Believer, never let a day go past where you do not encourage your heart in your standing in the resurrection of Christ. It is because He lives that we also live. And because He lives in the power of an endless life, we are forever alive in Him. May the Lord write His truth upon your heart tonight. We're going to close our service singing number 160. Lamb of God, Thou now art seated high upon Thy Father's throne. All Thy gracious work completed. All Thy mighty victory won. Please stand as we sing.
pray tonight that as we have looked into this Word, write it on our heart every Scripture, every principle, every precept. Lord, may we walk in the joy and blessing and victory of a resurrected Savior. Dear Father, keep us, we pray, faithful until our Lord returns. May our witness be bright. May our joy be full. Pray, Lord, tonight for any here or watching online without the Savior in their heart. Lord, speak now powerfully to them. Bring them out of darkness and into light. Bring them to the truth and the joy and the peace of full salvation. Lord, separate us now in Your fear and with Your mighty and rich blessing. Go in front of us. We ask all these things now in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.